Before we get into today's episode, we've got to address a very clear reality in Chicagoland, and that is it is freezing out there. So I say that because we had an event scheduled for this Thursday. We had a fundraising event scheduled for Valley Lodge in Wilmette, which was going to be great, but it is just, I mean, it's going to be record negative lows in Chicago plus wind chill. We don't want to subject you all to it, so we're just going to move the thing back. We are now going to host the same event at the same place with the same cool opportunities on the line, namely naming of scholarships, contributions to the project, and learning more about what we do. We're just going to host it on February 21 instead of this Thursday. So mark your calendars, February 21, Valley Lodge in Wilmette, Illinois. We really hope to see you there. On that note, we have another really cool opportunity coming up. That is a powerlifting meet on February 9. That too will double as a fundraiser. We're going to be down at Knox College for the Prairie Fire Powerlifting Invite. We've got athletes from four or five Midwestern schools already locked in. We're looking at a handful more. If you want to sign up and compete, there is no prerequisite. A lot of the people competing in this meet have never competed in powerlifting before. They just have been working hard and would really like to join the team atmosphere of our events and put their hard work on display. We will have individual weight class medals. We'll have food. We've got some local sponsors. Cherry Street down in Galesburg, Illinois is one of our sponsors. And the good people at Knox College have been incredible hosts. If you want to register, check out the link in our bio. And if you're in town and want to come watch, spectators are totally welcome. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Now, on to today's episode. Rachel Balkovec is amazing. I think the conversation we had with her is an important one. I hope a lot of people are tuning in and taking notes. This fall marked her third season with the Houston Astros working in strength and conditioning. And just after that 2018 season, she relocated to Amsterdam, of all places, to pursue her second master's degree in research and biomechanics. Before she worked with the Astros, she was a minor league strength and conditioning coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals, among other really top-tier organizations like Exos, Louisiana State University, the Chicago White Sox, just down the block from us, and Arizona State. She's a former NCAA Division I softball catcher and has a special interest in organizational culture and behavioral psychology. That is why she has achieved the level of success she has and is continuing a really cool upward trajectory. Rachel already has a name in this business. She's well respected by her teammates and the organization she's worked with. And after learning more about her approach, there's no question that her star is on the rise. With spring training less than a month away, tune in for a behind the curtain look at not only strength and conditioning in baseball and softball, but the mindset of athletes and the culture of professional sports. I don't know. I, I actually, it's been a breath of fresh air to, to work with women um, for Why several reasons. But, breath of fresh air. Uh, well, I, you know, this is like a huge generalization, but Speak they freely. definitely. And and mind you, this is the first time you're catching me like at a prime time because it's the first time I've worked with women for six or seven years. So it's like you know, it's a shock to the system a bit, and they really are very receptive and also like very, very intentional. Of course, that could be the group of women that I'm working with. Right. Um, they're definitely pushing for to be in the Olympics, uh, and they're kind of on the bubble, so they're pushing pretty hard. Um, but yeah, it's been definitely a breath of fresh air in some ways. So, uh, But there, of course, have been intentional and receptive athletes that are, that are males that I've worked with. So, 
Of course. Would you say, I, I'm going to say this. So if you don't agree with it, if I'm totally off base, that's fine. Is, is there a difference in sort of like humility? Uh, maybe a, you know, like a, an, an overseas softball player trying to make the Olympics versus a, uh, an American professional athlete. Oh, uh, that's a good question. We can, um, listen, we can edit this out too. You can, if you and I just want to talk and then we can just tell Alex, just, this part's kind of, no, just ed- no editing, just leave it all. Uh, I guess it's a good question. I, I would say there's a big difference between vulnerability more than anything. Like, uh, the girls and even the guys here a little bit too compared to when I just came from professional baseball for six years. Um, definitely a lot of vulnerability here and just like, which leads to, you know, humility and being willing to admit that they're wrong or just being willing, willing to accept new coaching or, you know, any kind of that, you know, being able to be, um, bare and like, be embarrassed or whatever. And, and I think there's definitely a little bit more of that than I've experienced in the past few years. Um, even though I wouldn't have said that until I got here and it's just the contrast, you know, that's really, that's really interesting. And it brings up, um, another line of thought for me. We, a lot of the work that we do recently for whatever reason, I guess it's because it's Thanksgiving and we have a big kind of mental health initiative push. But one of the things that we do um, is we try to open up the conversation of mental health in athletics. And what we found is that there is, especially in certain regions and realms and, and levels, there is uh, there's the guard is up. Um, and I wonder if that's that vulnerability is an interesting thing to talk about because it, it and, and we just believe, and I'd love to hear you weigh in on this, but like we believe that to be part of a, of a cohesive and productive team, there's an element of trust that's just completely inherent and vulnerability is a component of that. You kind of watch each other fail and grow. So why wouldn't that be an incredible platform for that sort of discussion? I see you not. What do you think? Oh God. Yeah. It's just a constant. And this is like, this is not against the Astros or the, I was with double a this last year. Like there's not, not necessarily against specific, um, specifically, one person it's really like a systemic issue and maybe even like a gender issue I don't really know but just there's just so much like sarcasm and oh yeah I, I don't even care like yeah I'm in a slump like who cares I'm just gonna quit or like just very much like afraid to admit that uh, admit a fear or uh, admit any kind of pain you know just any kind of like I'm not okay you know so it just and, and again it comes with trust be able to admit that to somebody and then when you're in an environment where you're seeing guys who are having massive success um, and they're on their way up and there's a guy that's on their way out or just really struggling and is on the bubble and basically watching their dreams dissolve in front of their eyes and all of the things that come with that I mean there's so many emotions that are going on but if you didn't know that if you weren't like really in tune to that you would completely miss it because there's so much like sarcasm and just not really there's it's not no one's open about it so it's kind of just like this big like sarcastic joke instead of being like damn I'm this is my childhood dream and I'm really struggling right now and the only thing that's on my mind is I don't want to get released but I can't talk to anyone about it because that means that I'm afraid and if I'm afraid that's embarrassing and the whole cycle so yeah I see a lot of that and um, it's something I try to like be sensitive to and also talk to them about if they're open to it, of course. Yeah. What are the, do you have conversations like that in the weight room? Like what, what yeah. is, what does your strength atmosphere look like? Oh, uh, uh, well that it depends is the answer to that. <laughs> but 
Because ultimately, like, so just for example, a huge contrast, again, with the Astros for two years, I was working as the Latin American Strength and Conditioning Coordinator, which meant that I was working primarily with 16 to 20 year old um, boys. And I, I mean, they're boys, not, not to be, you know, they're not men at that point. I don't consider them. They're still at a very early stage of development. If you can't get into um, a bar and have a beer, you're a boy. No offense. <laughs> young men. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was working with mostly like 16 to 20 year old boys and also, you know, kids that were hailing from really, really tough environments with not a great family structure, some of them with very little to no education. Um, and so my environment with that group of athletes looks totally different than, than flip a switch and, oh, you're going to double A next year. And I'm working with some of our oldest athletes, uh, which some of them are still pretty young, um, or at, at least from an emotional development standpoint, they're pretty young too. And so even if they're technically 24, they're operating with an 18 year old's mindset. Right, right. And so not all of them, of course, but yeah, so it depends is the answer to that, but it's always like, I think I put, I think I'm a pretty mediocre strength and conditioning coach, but I'm an excellent student of culture. And it doesn't mean I'm excellent at culture. It just means that I'm an excellent student. Like I put so much time and effort into thinking about how to structure a workout or which guy needs to be in which group, which rack this guy needs to be on to make sure that he's pushed enough, but he's not getting overwhelmed. Does this young guy need to be with that old guy? Does just everything. Like I think so much about how to structure a workout so that it goes well for the group. Um, and then of course, like you have those times where you're able to work with somebody one-on-one. -on -one and I mean, I, I am definitely trying to tap into like what's going on in their life. So do I have those conversations in the weight room? Yes. Um, as much as humanly possible, I do. So it's definitely on, on the, my mind a ton. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's incredible that you are doing that because I think really that's all that matters is implementation, right? Like if, if you can't um, – first of all, I think you're probably selling yourself short. I think you're an elite strength coach. But re regardless of that, we uh, Alex and I both and, – and you'll know the person I'm talking about right away, Alex, but, but don't say any names, please. But um, we've been lucky to have been around like tons of coaches, um, hundreds uh, – Literally, if not thousands, over the past couple of years, especially in the development of this, but but even um, kind of homegrown within our strength staff, we've had some folks. One jumps out in particular who was like like a savant almost, just like strength and conditioning genius, like knew everything and could not communicate it to a group to save his life. Um, so yeah. wonderful guy. Uh, kind of hoping he doesn't put this together, uh, but, uh, but, and I mean it just like, like so, so intelligent, uh, but figuring out, understanding context and, and sort of identifying the lay of the land and who belongs where and how to communicate an idea to a person. That's it. We often say that, that strength and conditioning sports and probably life in general is about, uh, results and relationships and those things kind of intermingle constantly you get the best results with high quality relationships uh and vice versa so and i'm not perfect like that's that's a that's an art and i've definitely failed at it and i think also to your that's an excellent point of like results are important and yeah 
is important to have people achieve their goals. It's not only about the process. It's about ending the process in something that you want. And that could be anything. That's not just in sports. But that also means that you're pushing yourself. And that also means that your coach is pushing you. And so sometimes I push the wrong person at the wrong time too hard, whatever it is. And if you're always close to that line, at some point, you're going to go over it. So, and that could be physically or mentally, of course. And so I'm not perfect, but I definitely think about that. I would say that takes up 90% of my thought process and that 10% is like, um, how many reps are we going to do in squat today? Like, who cares? I mean, I care. I'm, I'm doing a second master's in biomechanics, so I care. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, you know. No, I think, I think, I think that's right. It's, um, if you can't relay what you know, then like, what do you know? It's like if a tree falls in the forest sort of metaphor, you know what I mean? If, if you can't get it to someone, uh, again, implementation matters. And you, um, you mentioned something like the kind of, it, it's not tough love, but like just being tough for lack of a better term. Uh, our, our Twitter handle or Instagram handle, all that stuff is coach for kindness. Um, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about relationships and stuff like that. But like to your point, you, you highlighted the results part, like no bones about it. Like we are, we're trying to win a champion. We're, we're trying to win at whatever we do. We want to compete all the time, but it's, but it's the, it's the balance. It's tough, but kind. You can do both of those things and you can push where appropriate. And sometimes maybe you push too hard and sometimes you push right up to a level and pull back. Um, but, but that kind of balance and understanding, that's what makes it all work. And especially at the level you're at we're really interested in feedback loops and that's going to lead into my next question actually. Like we, we really are interested in feedback loops and if all you're doing is telling people how fantastic they are, then they, they get no actual feedback, right? Um, if you do something improperly, it should hurt and that's your body telling you that you've done it wrong. How do you, how do you um, interact in those kind of situations? What does the tough version of you look like? Um, I would definitely be on the end of the spectrum where I'm I'm guilty of not giving enough praise uh, if I'm being critical of myself. Um, but I'll give you an example that most people aren't even aren't gonna like, and probably some people around me didn't like that I did that I said this. But a guy came in the weight room, um, exactly what you just said. Came in the weight room, and it was one of the first times I had worked with him because he had just been moved to to AA. So, and I didn't know him too well previously, so I I didn't really know him that well. But I had seen him walk. I'd seen him stand. I was, I'm a biomechanics nerd. So I like, I'm like, all right, this guy probably isn't going to be too great in the weight room. And I just kind of knew it comes in. He's lifting with his uh, teammate. And uh, if they listen to this, they would laugh by the way. So it's not a bad story, but lifting with his teammate teammate is a seasoned veteran in the weight room. Huge big time college program knows what he's doing. Lifting a lot of weight. This guy, not so much. And I'm like, Hey, you sure you want to like, do you want to go to this weight? Do you want to stay lower? What's the deal? And he's like, no, no, I'll lift this. And I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, what I'm going to say picks up the bar. I immediately knew something was wrong. Looks at me, puts it back down. I'm like, you okay. And I just let him do it. I let him destroy himself. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Here's the ego stuff that comes in, picks it up again, picks it up again gets done with the set. He's bending over, stretching his back, grabs a foam roll, you know, and I just ignored him. I just was like, yeah, okay, sure. Go over there. Whatever. I just, I was like, that's what happens. You're right. You do something wrong. It's going to hurt. And <laughs> could I have stopped him? I guess I could have tried harder to stop him, mm -hmm. but I just let it happen. And then of course, like 
the the problem with that is of course like you can imagine people weren't happy that he tweaked his back in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened after that? There's a positive side to this. What happened after that is from that moment forth, he listened to everything that I right. said right. and spoke it up. How's my form? How does this look? Do you think that was? Do you think that was too heavy? Do you think I need to go go down? Okay, great. Now we've got an open athlete that's going to listen. That's going to p- pay attention to his form. And I'm telling you, he was one of the best the most intentional athletes in the weight room from that point forward. And I told him that, and I praised him on that. Um, and we have a good relationship probably because of it. But ironically, that good relationship come, came from him kind of tweaking his back in the weight room. Thankfully, he didn't miss any. I don't think he missed any time, actually, but he just was working through it for several weeks there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it came from an injury, which most people don't like to hear. But, yeah, it's a great teacher. Like, failure is an excellent teacher. It's probably but I mean, definitely is better than – success but it's freaking painful sometimes physically a lot of times not physically it's painful in other ways and you just hope that you know you don't metaphorically lose your season to it or you don't get fail so hard that you can't recover from it so yeah I mean what's what does the tough side of me look like I let them fail in every way possible yeah emotionally meant to, like just sometimes I'll give them I'm huge on uh, player education and so for example, that means um, we do educational sessions on anatomy with our younger players. And so that means, like I mentioned earlier, we're talking about 16 to 20-year-old Latin American players coming from third world countries. You can imagine everything that comes along with that. And I'm teaching them the Terry's Minor in English. <laughs> and they're like... Or Latin. You know, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, some of the words actually were pretty easy for them now that you mention it. But but realistically, like they've never been given a test in their life that they actually had to pass in school. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking them to learn this stuff. And I do, do not care if they learn the muscles. What I cared about was that they were being challenged mentally and that I was requiring a very high level or, you know, relatively speaking, a very high level of, of information retention from them. And so, again, going back to like that, me being tough or the tough side of me is it takes on a lot of different shapes and forms. And I would say that I'm definitely on like the extreme end of the scale in that uh, arena. And I, again, it's constantly on my mind, like how can I bring the right amount of challenge to the group that I'm working with? And that is, is just so many different things. That's all. I love that idea. I'm, I'm thinking through some things I might try for my athletes. Cause my follow up question, you already, you kind of already answered it, but um, what are, I, I agree with you. I think um, the feedback from failure is like one of the most valuable things that sports can teach you when sports are done well. Um, how to react and respond when, th- when the outcome doesn't go the way you planned in spite of a fairly well-considered process. Like that's, I mean, that talk about a life skill, like that's it right there. The follow-up question mm-hmm. is going to be, well, how do you do it without potentially breaking folks? And, uh, but, but, uh, I, I like this idea of like the education session. That makes, that makes total sense to me. Um, I might try that. I'm going to steal that idea if you don't mind some education sessions and then you can, you can talk through where it went wrong and, and, uh, and go from there. Are there anything, are there any other like in the weight room moments like that where you can sort of fail safely and then respond? Oh, Yeah. So that's another thing. Like we actually, and I, I know, I'm sure some strength coaches have thought of this before, but every time that I have a chance to like, if some, if a new athlete is starting up or like, obviously we get new drafts 
every year um, and with the Latin American players, especially like we actually took a day to learn how to fail out of the, each lift. Um, and so we would load up the bar with, you know, let's just say 135 pounds in the squat rack. Okay. Go do two reps and then fail. And they would all fail because the, this is a metaphor for life, of course, but if you don't know how to fail safely, then you can't lift big weight. <laughs> I love that. Alex, yeah, we're, like, we're both taking notes right now. Are you going to try this? Yeah, I'm going to do this for sure. Like metaphor for life. If you cannot fail safely, mm-hmm. you can never lift big weight. And in life, that would mean if you don't know how to fall flat on your face, stand back up and like dust yourself off and keep moving, then you're never going to jump into a big project because you're going to be so afraid to fail. And you see it all the times with, with athletes in the weight room, literally, again, back to like the literal sense of, you know, they, they don't want to go too low in a squat. You see that, right? They cut it off in a squat at above parallel because they feel like if they go lower, they're not going to be able to stand up, which might be true. But, but if you know how to fail, then who cares? If you don't stand up, you just drop the bar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, but if they don't know how to fail and they haven't been taught that, then, then they're screwed. They are screwed and they should cut themselves off because it's dangerous because then, you know, how you know, the, nobody can see me, but you know, it's like, then they're in the bottom of a squat. They, they, they don't want to let go of the bar because that feels uncomfortable. And then they're like wiggling around, trying to stand up. Somebody's trying to spot them from behind. It's awkward. It's weird. They're, you know, it's just not good for anyone. Metaphor for life. You don't know how to fail. Then you get in a situation where you're experiencing failure and you, you've never let yourself go there. And so you're scared as shitless. And you're just like, I'm failing. I don't know what to do. It, failure is a skill. And if you learn how to fail properly then you're going to be able to put a lot of weight on the bar with, with no fear. Because if you get in that in the bottom, then you just drop the bar and stand up and everyone's alive. And then from a coaching perspective too. Yeah. Woo. So scary. And then from a coaching perspective too, what's important is that, and this just happened the other day with one of the softball, the junior national teams. So she's, she's probably 18 years old and we did, we taught him how to fail, right? They were, uh, and it was a front squat actually. So she gets in the bottom of the hole and she literally panicked. She get down to the bottom of the hole and it, not a lot of weight. They're still learning. Um, but she just was stuck obviously. And she looked at me and I, I had the most calm face ever, but in my mind I was like, Oh my God, please remember the failure strategy. Right. I had the most calm face and I was like, you're okay. And she dropped the bar and stood up and I was like, are you alive? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Put the bar back on the rack. Let's do your, let's finish the set. But as a coach, you have to then, if you see an athlete failing, remain calm and don't, you know, get that startled face of like, oh shit. You right. Know, like, right. Oh, oh no, that's too much weight. Or, oh no, she's in the bottom of the hole. What's she going to do and freak out? Like when she looked at me, I was calm because I knew that she, we had taught her how to fail and then she failed and stood up. This is totally parallel for, for life. Like this is exactly what goes on in life too. Yeah. I love that. I just went off. So I don't know where we are. right. That was now. an unbelievable rant. That, you should rant more often. I like that a lot. The, the, because so I, I say this all the time. One of the reasons I'm, I'm a coach, uh, I've coached football. I started coaching football, moved to strength and conditioning because it was such an essential part of who I was as a football player. Uh, but I've coached I don't know how many athletes from uh, so many variety of sports, um, but strength and conditioning just continues to hold the most true metaphors for not only other areas of coaching but to life that you can imagine. Like, um, and I like that way 
a lot of our listeners are coaches. So the way that a coach reacts to the kid failing or, or the young athlete or the athlete failing it is essential. You know, like you, you picture, let's transfer it to the football field because that's something I'm comfortable with. If, um, if the ref makes a call that is potentially disagreeable and the coach throws his freaking hat and has a fit, um, that, the ripple effect of that modeling on the team is enormous. And then you, and then you meanwhile, you go back to the, to the huddle and you say, you know, respect the referees and, and respect the game. Uh, well, well, the modeling that you did in that moment of failure, like that's what matters. That's why Bill Belichick is the greatest of all time because <laughs> he, no, he has zero emotions. That's right. I don't know. He probably, probably goes home and like cries or something, but he keeps it together. I'm telling you, that man. I'm not, it's um, I mean, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah, we have to – of course we talk about, oh, you know how to fa- you have to know how to fail, but, but we have to teach them how to fail. And I think I, – I could be messing this up, but I'm pretty sure this came from um, the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, um, which I'm sure you know well. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it's for her, but she's like, you can't just say, all right, you, you guys have to be good at failing. We have to teach them how to fail. And that means that we have to have the appropriate responses, but also, um, and I'm stealing this from a softball coach from UCLA that I cannot remember her name right now. Uh, maybe it'll come to me, but anyway, I mean, famous softball coach for like 12 years, I think 10 national championships, crazy. Anyway. But she, I heard her speak at a conference one time and she talked about failure strategies and I stole it right from her. So for example, another example for, for failure strategies would be in the warmup um, for these, we'll call them the onboarding kids that come in from the new draft, like same type of thing. We're teaching them the very basics in the warmup. We're talking about dynamic warmup. Like I, I don't believe in wasting any minutes of your day. So they come to the dynamic warm-up. We have extremely specific high standards for them. I'm talking about, okay, lunges. Okay, start with your left foot. All right, now we're going to start with your right foot. And as you can imagine, there's 20 kids in this new onboarding phase. They always mess up. Well, we taught them that, well, first of all, when they mess up, the whole line start, not the whole team, but the whole line would start over. Mm -hmm. But most important part of that is that when they messed up, we would be like, okay, Lopez, you messed up. And we taught them that if they messed up and we called their name, they, they would only raise their hand and say, my bad. And then everyone would turn around and walk back to the line. Mm-hmm. But we had to, to like ingrain that in their minds. Like, hey, oh, you messed up. Oh, my bad. And everyone walks back to the line. No one said anything. They just walked back. And like, obviously, they would all cheer and clap if nobody messed up, like for the stretch and stuff. But but we we handed them a failure response instead of instead of, okay, somebody messes up oh man, come on, like, uh, let's get together, whatever, or the guy sulks and walks back. No, we handed that to them. Yeah. And I, and I think that came directly from oh, that softball coach. It's, it's embarrassing. Is her first name Kelly? No. Mm-mm. It was the one before yeah. her? Yeah. It's an older older coach who's been around for a long time. It's embarrassing. I don't know her name. I was a softball player in college. Good talk. Anyway, so anyway, so I stole it from her, and you can apply that in so many situations. Like, what is your team's failure response you can't just say, hey, have good body language. Well, why don't you teach, give them a, an, an actionable skill that they can use to have good body language or give them an actionable skill that they can use to have a failure strategy. Totally. Um, and, and that's just like, that's something you can do in a lot of different, a lot of different ways on field and in the weight room, dynamic warm up, whatever. But um, yeah, that's, that's huge, huge for me. I talk about failure a ton with athletes um, because it's, you know, it's, probably what makes or breaks most, you know, elite level athletes, I would say. I love that. I, and, and I even, 
I like uh, how specific you get the uh, even just like what does body language look like? You hear you do hear these things regularly, but then the the what exactly do you want me to do, coach? Uh, is a kind of a lingering question. Beyond that, we have um, we have this story. Uh, it's the Michael. We reference Michael Jordan. I'm gonna reference Michael Jordan for as long as the athletes recognize who Michael Jordan is, probably because he's just like the ultimate competitor. <laughs> um, and I have to check now because I'm like, would would Andre Iguodala be a better? I, I don't know. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. The shoes regardless. are still popular. The shoes are still very popular. <laughs> anyway, Michael Jordan. We talk about body language, and we talk about um, we we just say weight room posture is a thing. You know what I mean? Like this is, we, we advertise, we um, hold our chest proud, scaps back, it's whatever. We talk about what weight room posture looks like and how that matters on the field and say like if, if it's late in the game and everyone's tired, Michael Jordan's taking the ball down the court, he is just scanning for the guy who is like drooped over, uh, you know what I mean? Looks like dog tired and, and, and has lost his athletic or weight room posture and he's like, I'm going at that guy right there. Uh, so that, that's how we refer to it. Yeah. That's funny that you said that. Cause I have, uh, we would call it the fundamental position and we used it to teach posture, but also to have like be at attention and, um, listen, good listening skills. Like, yeah, we, the fundamental position is what we called it, but that's such a good, that is such a great. And I hope that like sport coaches listen to this podcast as well. I hope that what I haven't seen yet is, and even from myself is an ability to like have this across all from the weight room to the hitting coach, to the manager, to, and that obviously for football, that's a huge team and a bunch of different coaches to have the same verbiage, um, a consistent verbiage. So, you know, if you were on, on the field as a offensive line coach or whatever, and you're like, Hey, weight room posture, whatever that, you know, whatever that term was. And it's like across everybody, that consistent message, that would be amazing. Hmm. Um, and I'm actually going to write that down. So I just wrote that down too. I'm just, I don't know if weight room posture will hold, but, uh, but that does make sense. You know, if it's, um, man, that's such a good point too. Cause it's like, we've got them for nine months and they go into season for three months and you want that, you don't want them to have to relearn what posture looks like or something like that. If you could equip coaches with that same language and the kids have, they automatically know. Yeah. And for younger athletes too, just like, I would love to believe that, you know, all these young players will remember that failure strategy that I taught them, you know, but the truth of the matter is, is some of them aren't going to do it as soon as I'm not their coach anymore, or as soon as they cross over onto the field, they don't make that connection. They go, okay, with Rachel, I raise my hand and I say my bad and I own my, I own what I, you know, my failure for the team and we walk great. And then I step on the field and it's a whole different world. And so I, you know, ideally they would carry that with them for the rest of their life. But realistically, when you're working with young athletes, that that's not going to happen. So that consistent message I think is just paramount. I love that. Well, so, so on that, in that vein, I, I'm, I'm reminded of an interview I just saw. Um, I can't remember who it was, but the guy played like 10 years in the NFL and uh, they were talking about character through sports and the quote unquote life lessons that happen through sports. And he's like, listen, my, the light, the biggest life lesson I learned was like, be on time or you're going to get yelled at, you know, it, at least by the time I got to the NFL, it, that's kind of, that's all that really resonated with him. Um, what are some of the other things that you would say that you teach for in your platform? If you haven't, if you haven't named them explicitly, um, stories about lessons would do just fine. Um, education, discipline, character is like, for me, 
as long as I'm allowed, no matter what setting I'm in, you know, depending on my role, those are the things that I talk about consistently. Mm. Um, and that's, it's like, you hear a story like that. And I just think immediately, like, that's too bad. If I'm late, I'm going to get yelled at. So only thing that stuck with me, I mean, okay, good. You're not going to be late, but that's like so small. And that, that brings me also, to, I think this is Dweck again, or it could be Duckworth. I can't remember that says in their book that like sports, sports don't actually teach you <laughs> what what teaches you is a great coach that ingrains those patterns into your mind and like uses the the arena of sport to to mold and shape athletes but there's like just think about i this is something that bothers me just think about all the quotes all over every wall if you think worldwide like how many quotes do you think there are on the walls of weight rooms or walls of locker rooms it's quotes like talent you know <laughs> or hard work beats talent that doesn't work hard how many how many places that put on the wall yeah but it doesn't matter what matters is what's going on inside of those walls that those quotes are written on and what the coaches are doing inside of those walls to create those lessons and not just say it one time and then forget about it or put it on a t-shirt and then forget about it or, or say yeah I respect women and then they hear their coach talking about the girls at the bar last night or whatever like it's, it has nothing to do with like the sport. It has to do with how it's used, you know? So, so I, again, education, discipline, character, another rant. So that was good. Uh, what are podcasts for? If you can't rant, if you can't, rant, anyway, right. so, yeah. So discipline, discipline, education, character, and, and like every action that I, every time that I think about, okay, who am I going to put on the rack with this kid? He's really struggling with focus. Okay. I got to put two kind of senior members, whatever that means, you know, you know, sometimes the older kid is a 17 year old kid compared to a 16 year old. So, you know, you're working with what you got, but, or it's like, um, okay, this kid, he's this kid. I really see leadership qualities in him. How can I help him flourish in that? Okay. So he's going to lead the warm up today, or he's going to, you know, he's going to work with this kid that I know he can really lead. That's a younger kid that he's going to be able to teach and like really hone those skills. And so, again, every action of my coaching day is structured around discipline, education, character. And so, of course, like the broad pockets of education. All right. What does that mean? What do I want? I want these guys to understand that information retention and learning, period, is, is paramount. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to teach them anatomy. And I'm going to tell them. Why am I teaching them anatomy? I'm going to tell them, like, this is because I want you to be able to retain information. I'm going to be so upfront with them and have them understand education. That is important. Discipline. How do we stand? When you're listening to me talk, how do you stand correctly? That's discipline. Like how the minute details that are that are difficult. When we do our lunges, we start with our left leg. When we do our bear crawls, we start with our right hand. That's you know, and that that takes many different forms for different people. So of course, it could be anything else for another coach, but I'm just saying, again, going back to it's not about the sport it's about as a coach how are you setting up your day to make sure that those lessons are are taken on and and lived out in your athletes yeah i love that well so here's there's a couple interesting ideas you just brought up the first is the that we are this is a groundbreaking moment alex because i think it's the first time that a good athlete project quote has been quoted to <gasps> us so like uh <laughs> in terms of uh the sports don't teach life lessons uh, intentional teachers and coaches use sports as a platform to teach life lessons. Yeah. But it's all, and it's all about um, 
creating healthy cultures that, that kind of constantly reinforce these values. It's a continuing conversation. It's a series of habits, right? It doesn't just happen automatically. There's not a lot of people uh, playing basketball in their driveway that are learning the life lessons that we suppose or suggest sports might teach. So it, you're right, it's on us. It's what's between the walls. It's not what's painted on them. It's what's happening every day. The thousands of touch points uh, over the course of an off season and in season um, that really build into something special. Um, the other thing that you mentioned is, so our logo, this like the head with the gears in it, it's, it, it you're, you're so on point with it because it's all about intentionality, right? That, that's the idea. We, we kind of go into this whole discussion without judgment or without a, a real um, sense of like, this is right and that is wrong. You know, that's not where the place we want to be. We just want to encourage thoughtfulness, right? Like you should have an idea of what discipline looks like in your place. And then you should hold yeah. the kids accountable to it and you should be consistent with it. The other thing that you mentioned was uh, sort of the hypocrisy of one talking about what they might hold dear and then their behavior mimicking. We call those, those are the interview sound bites. So it's like when you go into the interview room, you talk about how academics uh, and respecting women and, and healthy relationships and all these things are important to you. But then like you're BSing on the sideline or whatever, uh, whatever the situation might be. And again, once it, just like the ref conversation we had earlier, your behavior does not match that thing that you said was a goal. Oh, that is like, that is, in my opinion, that is probably one of the most important things. And it's, and it's, and I'm not perfect either. So I can say this and it's like, I have my own faults, of course, and I'm not the perfect model for the athletes, of course. Um, but again, it's like the more that you're aware of something and that you think about it, I think obviously the more your actions are going to then follow that. And so for example, this is a, an easy example just to put out there is, you know, in double A this year, I was on the bus with these guys in the dugout, like clubhouse everywhere. Like they see everything that I do. I see everything that they do. And eating is an easy example. And it's a not very offensive example. So we'll go with that. Sure. I love, I love cake. I love ice cream. I love pizza. I love shitty food, but Pretty you know delicious. what? My athletes, those, those guys never, They'll never see me eat anything bad. Yeah. And is that because I'm trying to pretend like I'm eating healthy? No, like I eat healthy a lot, and I, but I have those bad meals. But I'm telling you what, they never saw me eat one bad thing. And why? I'm trying to set an example for them. And of course, when you're, again, a young person and you see an adult do something that's, you know, whatever it is, not good, they only have to see it one time to go, oh, see, they did that and it's okay for me. And so that's a very easy example, but obviously there's more sensitive subjects like how do you treat women and how do you, not even how you treat women because there's not a lot of women around, right? you know, but <laughs> well, I mean, of course there's me, but I'm kind of like blended into the environment, but it's like, how do you talk, how do you talk about women? Because sometimes I'll hear coaches talking about women around players and I'm like, dude, like you're you're t telling these guys to grow up and be men and be respectful and blah, blah, blah. And then you make that comment and it just destroys everything that you just said. And so modeling the behavior that you want out of your, out of your, uh, athletes is, is paramount. And I don't think that's like, it's so easy to think about when you're talking about parenting, but for some reason, coaching, I think it is a blurred area. Like obviously kids will take on the behaviors of their parents to, down to the way that they talk and facial expressions and walking. Why don't we think that's going to happen with, with our athletes that we, that we're around? Yeah, you know? so no, I, I, totally. 
yeah, can't stress that enough. And it's, and it's obviously like, think when I was a younger coach, I, I mean, I've always had a certain bit of this being a female in this field. Um, but I mean, to the max, like to definitely, a to a higher, it becomes higher and higher and higher, higher with every minute that passes in my career where I'm just like, I have to be a model for the, for these young men, you know, and talk to them about women too. Cause I have that interesting piece where yeah, I, I'm not modeling for them as a male figure, but, um, you know, talking to them about what type of women they're dating or allowing into their lives as athletes is important. So mm-hmm. that's such an interesting perspective. We could we could have a podcast just on those sorts of dynamics and the things that you, having sort of infiltrated that environment, have have been able to witness and and maybe the conversations that have sparked from that. I think that's really really interesting. Is that actually is that something you feel comfortable commenting on? Sure. I, I mean, and. It, it doesn't happen with every guy because I think too is, is they know they see how I act. They see how I go about my business, especially like this summer I was taking prerequisites for my biomechanics degree. So I'm like studying for physics in the dugout. And so they, they're not going to tell me all their adventures that happen. (laughs) Like they're not going to tell me everything, but I do consider it really special when they do confide in me because that takes a lot of trust and a lot of like, you know, I think trust is the best word for when a young man is going to tell a 31 year old woman about some kind of encounter they've had with a woman. Like that takes a lot of trust and a lot of vulnerability. And so, yeah, I, I feel like they're big sister, you know, that I just want to help them make the right decisions. Um, and, and have, I think more so than anything, have a partner who's going to support them in a very, very, very difficult career field. Hmm. Because I think that's a huge like um, recurring theme of they're dating women or with a partner who is going to take on their identity and you know just wants to be a part of their life because they're in a certain career field and not for the right reasons. And I mean, there's just a lot of conversations to be had about that. And I think it's an interesting perspective to to sit down with a woman and say, you know, as a big sister type of thing, be able to kind of guide them in that. And so you know, and I've, I'm in the same career field and I've been in relationships and I'm in a relationship. And so I'm going through those same things that I can still comment on. So yeah, it's, uh, I don't hear everything. I probably hear less than a male coach would. Um, but when I do hear, when I do hear it, I think it's, it's a pretty intimate conversation, you know, because they're really opening up and trusting me. So that's amazing. I, I, I hope, yeah, I'm glad to hear that's happening. I, I have a, a follow up question to that too. What what happens if you hear not necessarily an open, um, thoughtful version of that conversation, but what would you do if you heard sort of uh, like a degrading conversation going on maybe between two athletes or something like that? Because I'll tell you, that's it, it's uh, we get this a lot from from coaches and, and parents and even other other athletes saying like, I see this, I recognize that it's not what should be going on. How do I interact without completely taking my legs out from under me? Um, I honestly don't, uh, yeah, frankly, I just don't hear a lot of that. Um, it's probably shielded from me more so. I don't, I hear it very sparingly and it's probably because I was like around the corner and they didn't know I was there. Sure. But or maybe they're just good guys. Cool. That's possible too. I know they're all awesome. And they, maybe they're not just sneaking this. around. <laughs> yeah. So I, sometimes it's, it's a good thing. Like you can see from both perspectives, if, if they confide in me about something that's going on with their girlfriend or, you know, I've definitely had a couple of guys be like, I have a girlfriend, I met this girl, like, 
you know, and again, the response is not, you're a bad person. I can't believe you'd be doing this. It's like, okay, yeah, tell me more about this, even though I'm like, no, you know. So sometimes, sometimes that's a good thing because they trust me a ton, but also sometimes it's a good thing when um, another easy example going away from like the women topic is uh, eating. They're like, oh God, Rachel, like, don't watch me eat this pizza. Like, I don't want you to see me eat this. You know, they're like, because they could, because they know what my values are. So, so if me being around decreases the conversation that shouldn't be happening anyway, then I'm okay with that too. So I don't hear a lot of it, but good. Yeah. That's, su- no, <laughs> good. that's such a good point. I didn't even think about that necessarily, but, but I mean, we hope to do that on some level too. It's like, uh, maybe yeah. it's not always about confronting it head on. Maybe it's about creating cultures and situations that make it happen less. That's fine. Exactly. Like, right. Yeah. As, what, what type of coach are you? And again, not to, again, not to offend anyone and just put a thought in your mind though. What kind of coach are you? Ask yourself if a player comes up to you and was like, dude, yeah, last night, you know, the beef at the bar was crazy. Like there's a, like, how did you just invite that conversation? Because obviously the athlete feels comfortable coming up to you to talk to you about that. So you should ask yourself, like, hmm, is this athlete a little too comfortable? Like, is this what, – what have I been putting off that allows that energy to be, to be brought to me? <laughs> so, you know, it's different if somebody's like, confiding in you about an issue. That's a whole different topic. But if they just feel comfortable to, like – throw whatever conversation out there, then you should be asking yourself what kind of behavior you're, you're modeling for them. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I mean, it's not, uh, that wouldn't be a guarantee that something's gone wrong, but, but yeah, what are you inviting into your life? What situation have you created? That's a good point to reflect on. Um, we are at what some would say is the most Im- important part of the podcast. Um, but, or potentially the most exciting because it comes with a sound bite insert here. And that is, uh, <laughs> thank you for the cue. That is, uh, coach Nadalna's lightning round. The lightning round. You ready for this? Oh God. Okay. Let's do it. Full disclosure. Uh, some of these were not on the sheet, so, uh, I did not give you an opportunity to prepare. Um, I want honest answers here. What is your favorite superhero? I mean, is that even a question? Wonder Woman, hello. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is or was your favorite cereal as a kid? My favorite cereal as a kid, the first thing that popped in my mind was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's a good one. Um, you are a self-described nomad. And you yeah. said, I think, it, I believe if I'm correct, it was nine cities in how many years? I literally don't have a count. It's it's definitely like 13-ish. I really like don't know how many cities and I depends on what you count like living, you know. It's like okay, I was here for a month or I was there for so yeah, I don't know. It's 13 or 14 maybe. So this this will be a two-part question. The first part is uh what's been your favorite stop so far? <gasps> oh my gosh, that's so hard, but I would have to go with New Zealand. When were you in New Zealand? Uh, I was there for a month, or I guess I was in Australia and New Zealand for a month in 2016. It was amazing. Mind-blowing. You, Whatever you're doing out there, people listening to this podcast, drop whatever you're doing, save some money, and buy yourself a ticket to New Zealand, and just hope that you don't stay there for the rest <laughs> of your life. <laughs> um, 
the only thing I know about New Zealand is that the Lord of the Rings was filmed there. Uh, and I'm not even that big a fan of Lord of the Rings, so I'm sure there's much more for so me to learn about the country. <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to see a preview of the scenery there, you should look at the Lord of the Rings and just imagine that, except times a billion. Times a billion. Amazing. <laughs> Fair. That, that's a uh, statistic. That's a real statistic. <laughs> that's been researched. Times a billion. Um, <laughs> so the, the second part of that is... Uh, what is one thing about living overseas that is uh, that you appreciate that doesn't happen in America and then vice versa? What's one thing that you miss about being in America that doesn't happen overseas? Oh, that's a good one too. Um, well, I, I don't know if this is really an answer to your question. Well, first of all, it's very much like it's more fit, especially in Amsterdam, just because there's so many um, – like there's so much biking and walking and it's a very, very pedestrian friendly city. Um, but that's also worldwide. Like there's not a place that I've visited. I, I think I've visited something like 10 countries and there's not a place I've visited where um, the United States is not like the least healthy, you know, like all of them. Like it's just very unhealthy, um, especially the Midwest where I come from. So. Uh, yeah, so that's one thing. But also what I love about traveling, like, for example, last year I was in Laos and I was at a school for for young kids and I they literally had never heard of baseball. And so one of my favorite things about traveling is that it's so like you're just you become so anonymous and you are constantly reminded that you're so small. And so the, I just tweeted about this. But the other day I was wearing an Astros T-shirt. And some guy was like, oh, cool shirt. You know, is that a sports team? And I was like, I'm used to it by now. Like, no one knows that. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's the, the Houston Astros. And he was like, oh, cool. Is that a soccer team? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, well, I, you know, you just get you just get humbled over and over again because people don't have any idea. Like, I worked in sports for 10 years, and LSU means nothing to kids in Laos. You know, there's yeah. nothing. Like, they don't and so it's great it's it's I like to be overseas or just out of the United States because you know I say I work for the Astros and there's not 10 questions following that about you know oh have you worked with Jose Altuve like they're like oh cool okay what do you want to have for dinner (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, then the inverse of that as well what what's one thing that like um well I guess it's kind of the same thing where I miss um I miss the hustle and bustle a little bit, which I hate to say in some regards. Like, I'm definitely, I can be a complete paradox. Like, I, I go to Laos and I'm in, living in a really remote village for three weeks and, like, totally fine. And then I also am a huge workaholic, like, type A person. I do the best with a very structured um, day and packed day. And, like, when I just, you know, kind of grinding my gears and just get getting after it. So that culture is very easy to find in the United States and it's very easy to find in sports. So I, I miss that sometimes. Like I'm definitely the angry American on my bike in Amsterdam, like with like road rage on the bike. I'm like speeding through bike traffic. Um, and I like it, you know, I kind of like that culture. So, uh, that was paradoxical, but yeah, that's what I would say. I would miss that. Does, does your bike have a horn as well? Did you install one yourself or? <laughs> it has a bell and I, and I'm like the only person that uses it, my bell, I think in the whole city. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, yep. what is one sport that you haven't had the opportunity to work with that you really would like to, or one sport that really interests you? Ooh, uh, I would say rugby. Um, 
Yeah, I would say rugby just because it fascinates me because obviously it's a bit like football in some ways uh, without the protective gear. Um, but also they have to be aerobically conditioned big time, which is something that is not present in football. So it's kind of like um, an all around sport where you have to be extremely physically tough from like a strength and power perspective, but also simultaneously have huge aerobic capacity. So um, I think that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but if I do move to New Zealand, rugby is huge there. So you never know. You never know. That's it. We found an in. All right. Uh, this would be the last one. Um, you are unquestionably a leader in this field. Uh, so what advice would you give to a future leader that's hoping to embark on a similar journey? First of all, thank you for saying that. Um, and second of all, I would say, <sighs> Oh gosh, I would say for, depends on who you're talking to, but I would say like just the learning aspect, which I think is pretty cliche, but learn from as many different types of people and, and sports as you can. And so, yeah, learn from, be, be as diverse as possible. Um, and so I learned when I first went to my first ever internship was at athletes performance, which is now exos, which dates me, but, um, athletes performance, they always said, don't be a guru. And I would say that like in every facet of life, obviously, because I travel around so much and just like be as eclectic as possible and have as many different experiences as possible. And so when somebody says, I want to be in professional baseball and I say, why? And they say, I really like baseball. That's not a good enough reason. You know, you shouldn't pigeonhole yourself to one area because that makes you very fragile. And that's that's a um, term that's been coined. I think it's been coined by Nassim Taleb. He's, he has a book called Anti-Fragile. And he talks about how basically to be as well-rounded as possible so that you can you can succeed in as many arenas as possible and that's in every facet of life not just of course like learn different programs for different sports sure that's something really small but uh, learn how to interact on many different levels with many different types of people from different you know areas of the world and not just limit yourself to one spot so I would say be the ultimate generalist and become anti-fragile within your field love it that was lightning? Lightning round. <laughs> Love it. Um, all right. Well, listen, I guess we wrap up with this. Um, we reached out to you for a reason. Uh, we're really grateful for all the work that you're doing. And like Alex mentioned, you being a leader, that's not just a nice thing. You, I mean, you definitely are. You're, you're a pioneer in a lot of ways. And I hope, um, I hope people listen to this and take a lot out of it. And I hope you keep doing the good work that brought – um, you to our attention. I just co I hope you keep spreading it, and we'll try to spread your message as much as we can. Well, I I I deeply appreciate you saying those kind words, and I appreciate being on the podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health, similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout. Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.